in 1 John 1, 1 through 5. Bible times, friends, they're not, they're not too different than what they are today. Like there isn't a whole lot of difference between what happened back in the day and what happens now. Um, back in the day, there were people that walked around thinking that they were gods. Is that hard to believe? There were people that had broken homes. There were homes that were mismanaged and disordered, discord and homes as well, just, just like today. Got business people or even politicians that walk around as if they can't be held accountable for the things that they do. And people had a diverse outlook on life, not just religiously, but philosophically as well. So much so that there was this one kind of philosophy where, where people basically said, body bad, spirit good. I really don't need to care about my body. I don't need to care about the things that happen to my body. We need to champion and prize things like mental stuff, emotions, my soul. That's what's going to live forever. I'm going to shove off this mortal coil and then go slip into eternity somewhere. And even that kind of thing still has some, you can taste it here and now. I remember, goodness, so many conversations. A friend of mine, we would call her Ryan. Um, Ryan was a friend of Leisha's and mine for a number of years. And when we met Ryan, Ryan was wanting to transition from, from female to male. And Ryan thought that there was a big conflict between the body that they were born with and how they felt. They thought that they should have been born a man, but their body communicated something different. And so there was this massive dissonance. There was a lot of conflict in how they lived. And getting to know Ryan for a couple of years, conversations like really hard conversations, they heard the truth about who they were. Ryan believed that her body was bad, um, but her spirit or her mental capabilities and capacity, the emotions that she felt were good and they needed to be validated. She heard the truth though. God created those things and God wants to redeem those things as well. It just revealed a tremendous amount of conflict in her own soul. The, the, the book that we're looking at today, 1 John is deeply concerned with what people believe. And over and again, when you read the gospels, you, goodness, when you hear the, read the book of Acts, the apostolic message from Jesus and Peter and the rest of the apostolic band is repent and believe. Believe in what? Believe that God sent his son Jesus into the world to redeem people like you and me. And John, he's just much older at this time. He wrote this book probably in the late first century. This is certainly written by the same guy that wrote the gospel of John. There are a lot of similarities between how he writes the gospel of John and how he writes the next few letters that he writes. He, he likes to talk about pitting one thing against the other like light and dark. 
same dude, and he's deeply interested in what people believe, but so much so that what people believe comes out in what they do. If they believe a certain thing, it ends up working itself out in normal everyday life. Right belief communicates out into right behavior. Right belief actually forms right behavior. And so he's combating this big, awful, scary, nasty, we would call it a heresy. A heresy is something that's contrary to the Christian faith. If you believe this kind of thing, it means that you're not a Christian. In the first century, they were believing that Jesus actually didn't come in the flesh. Jesus was just a phantasm, a spirit, a ghost. That was it. No, Jesus came as God, but in flesh. And as both God and man, he came to redeem the eternal part of us, our soul, and he came to redeem our body as well. He came to redeem our life and our actions as well. Jesus came to change everything about us. Not just that the body is bad. The, the body might have brokenness. It might be weak. But the body is good and God created it to be good and he sought to redeem it. And so as we believe in Jesus, God's son, the one whom God sent, Jesus calls us to follow him on what he would say is the narrow path. Or later on in Acts, the, the, the apostles, as they started calling people to trust in Jesus, they were known as people that were followers of the way. And John would invite us to follow this lit path. This is what it looks like to follow Christ as his disciples. Namely, that we love him more than our life and we love one another. Introducing the passage though. There was a main idea, if you're taking notes, it's that the light demands to be known. He demands to be known. That's why he came and that's, that's what he calls you to, is to know him. So if you're able to, would you stand out of reverence for God's word? 1 John 1, verses 1 through 5. John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, this is what he says this morning. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. And we've seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was from the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him 
is no darkness at all. This is God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. You're taking notes. The first thing I want you to see in the first half of this, verses one through three, the first half of verse three, the apostles witness Christ so that you can experience life. The apostles witness, they're eyewitnesses to Jesus's teaching and life and message so that you and I can experience life. And in Baptist circles, or those that prize theology over experience, that word experience is really scary. But he's come so that we can know him and have joy, everlasting joy in life, in life right now. And so John lumps himself in again with the rest of his friends. He's not quite the loud mouth that Peter is and acts. John, the beloved apostle, he says, we've seen and we've heard and we've looked and we touch and we testify and proclaim to you. This is bananas, folks, because now there's a way for them to see what, what was just spiritual and now it's made manifest before them. They can actually evaluate Jesus's claims with their own eyes and with their own ears and they can actually touch him. And this matters in the world today that we live in today because we live in a world that wants to champion like qualitative and quantitative testing. Can we measure it? Can we put it into a beaker? Can we do science with it? Is it real or is it not real? In fact, this kind of thing though, it, it doesn't work without agreeing to a set of presuppositions. It doesn't speak to how people want to gather evidence in our own day today. If they really did see, if they really did hear in touch, spent time with, why wouldn't their eyewitness account count? Why wouldn't we take that at face value either? What they're saying is we saw him, you know, the, the one, the, the Christ, the, the rescuer that was meant to come for you and me. He's the real deal. Everything that he said and everything that he promised to you and me has come true thus far and he hasn't let us down yet. They're saying that we can trust him. He goes on to talk about how this this life has now been made manifest in front of them. Literally, I mean, he's manifest in the flesh. And this is a common phrase throughout the scriptures about Jesus. It means that this, this phrase, the, the logos, what we see in John 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The, the divine one that holds everything together the divine word that spoke at the very beginning, speaking creation into existence. That logos, that word that was spoken at the beginning. He's the one that's been made manifest before us and in him there is life. He's the bread of life that has no expiration date. So being God in flesh, being manifest before us, it's not that Jesus 
It's not just concerned about his abilities. Though he's powerful. Though he's eternal. It doesn't just speak to his abilities. It speaks to his qualities too. It's not just about his power, but in Jesus, we see God's personality. And then he says that they testify and proclaim it. Their eyewitnesses and the reporting back their findings to every little church that they start or oversee. It is no secret that I am not the biggest sports fan in the world. Um, I do know this, like sports that do have sports commentators, very few people go to live, live sporting events because of their favorite sporting commentator. You might have a favorite sporting commentator, but rest assured, um, that's not the reason why you're going to watch that particular sport. Jim Ross with the, the World Wrestling Federation, or WWE now, He's great and good, but people are watching it because of the Royal Rumble that just happened last night. You're not watching it for him. Or what's that dude's name? Euchre. Euchre, right? Bob Euchre, former Cardinal. He was an announcer for the Cardinals, right? You didn't watch him. You didn't watch Cardinals baseball just waiting to hear from him though, right? Joe Rogan with, with the UFC. John and the apostles, they were not the star of the show. The reason why they're writing all of this down is not to draw attention to themselves. They are saying at the top of their lungs, we are not the light. We're pointing you to the one that is light and life. And so no one in this room thinks this, but just to put this out there, Pastor Tim is not the light either. And joyfully and happily, I am not the light. I wanna point you to the one where life and light is though. Some of us in here might have Messiah complexes and we just wanna fix everything and we can't let go of things until they're fixed. You are not the light either. You point people to where light in life is. HBC, as wonderful of a church as we are in our community, we are not the light. We are an outpost. We are a lighthouse pointing people to who the light is and where healing and life can be found. We point them to he who is made manifest as life and light, as king and lamb, judge and redeemer. Jesus is the star of the show. He's shown himself to be faithful and true to millions. And he showed himself to be strong and capable over centuries and thousands of years. For the apostles, he continued to show up even at their dying breath. And for single moms struggling to provide for their kiddos, he shows up for them too as their ever-present help in time of trouble. Jesus shows up. Our light in life shows up. 
What do you do, though, when your experience with Jesus differs from that of others, though? When it feels like Jesus doesn't show up, when you don't get what, what you're asking him for, when you still go through trepidatious times, painful times, you feel like you're forgotten. You feel like he don't care. You feel like he shows himself to everyone else but you. You can borrow courage and hope from other brothers and sisters. This is still an invitation for you to step out in faith, but you can look back at how Jesus has cared for and shown up in the lives of other brothers and sisters, and you can trust him. Our experience can be shaped instead by the word. We know what the Psalms say. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. He is Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength. Whom shall I fear? I have no reason to fear. Matthew 28, Jesus says, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. It's an invitation not just to borrow hope from other brothers and sisters, but for our experience to be shaped by what's true. And so the apostles saw, they heard, they seen, they watched Jesus's body expire. John did. They saw him resurrected. They told it to 500 other, or 500 other eyewitnesses saw him alive and well too. And all of this is for you that you may experience life. He goes on talking about others receiving fellowship and joy are at the heart of gospel proclamation. Fellowship and joy are the reason why we preach. That's the reason why he preached. We, we saw and we heard later on in verse three, right? So that you too may have fellowship. And he gives two reasons or, or, or two focuses here, right? He says that you may have fellowship with us, fellowship even though they're hundreds of miles away by distance. He's talking about how massive and immeasurable the church is, not just in their own day, but how it would span time. God's church continues to grow and build, even today, built upon the foundation of the apostles' teaching. And so we are joined together with a massive historical movement of God redeeming people. But he also says that we have fellowship with the Father and the Son. So now he moves from Jesus being the real deal to we can actually know him. And then he tells them, I'm writing all of these things to you so that your joy can be made, so that my joy would be made complete. Question, in what way is John's joy incomplete? Why is it incomplete? How on earth would his joy be made incomplete? The fruit of the spirit includes joy, doesn't it? Jesus came so that we can have joy. Paul says in Philippians, count it all joy. 
How is it that his joy is incomplete in this, in this moment right now? It's because it's, because it's joy-giving to give to people. It's joy-giving to give to people where joy can be found. It gives us life. This is one of the reasons why we're still here is so that other people can have joy and run to the one where joy is found. They're teaching people that they can literally know God and be known by God, not as an enemy, but as a friend, even more as a son or as a daughter. And John here is being a really good spiritual father here. He's taking ownership for their spiritual development. I want to send you off in such a way that you know that you can meet with him. You can have fellowship with God. And I want you to grow in maturity with that. He's fighting to cultivate their spiritual life. John's joy was incomplete though because he saw that he was spiritually responsible for growth in life in others. Some of us might have an inappropriate level or inappropriate amount of joy in our life. And the reason why is because those that we might be spiritually responsible for, we have not sought their spiritual cultivation. If you are mature in Christ here today, you have a debt of love to those that are more immature. Later on, when we get to 1 John chapter 2, John's talking about the spiritual development of Christians. You and I are called, those of you that are matured in Christ, we're called to give our lives for their good and their spiritual maturation. We think that we have capped the amount of joy and peace and happiness that we can have in this life. And what John is wanting to expose in us is you need to continue to give of yourself for their good and their spiritual health and their spiritual life. Who do you give your life to? There are two kinds maybe three kinds of people in here. One, I know of where people serve in tremendous capacities. They're leading or serving in multiple ways. I'm not necessarily concerned about them. Maybe you need to slow down so that you can, you can, you can give more in one or two ways rather than eight or 10 different ways. but for others who have been in the faith for 20 or 30 years, who have known him since the beginning, and you, like young men, again, in 1 John 2, who know how to do battle with the evil one and know how to win, and who have received wisdom from the Bible for 20 or 30 years, 
What a joy it would be for you to give this treasure trove away to young men and women who are just starting off in life as a new married couple or they're just starting to go to college and seeing them grow as brothers and sisters in your spiritual family. Who do you invest in? Is the amount of joy that you have inappropriate for the relationships that you have? I'll lean into this just a little bit more, actually. My pastor, back in the day, he walked with me through some of, like, my worst follies. And... um, some significant immaturity. And we met with each other fairly regularly. The person from when I was a teenager to my early 20s, though, that meant the most to me and that fed my soul the most and I saw the most spiritual maturity come up from inside and it coming and and lived out in normal everyday life was from a relationship that I had with a retired divorce attorney, Richard Shankweiler. And we would meet together once a, once a week and all we would do is read the Bible and talk and pray. Richard became a spiritual dad to me. He's not here now. But I can't imagine, <laughs> I can't imagine the joy that he would have now of where I I follow Jesus a little bit more faithfully today. And that work has continued on long past meeting with him. Richard wasn't a pastor. Richard was just a man that loved Jesus and walked with Jesus for a really long time. joy would be made full. John was giving of his time and resources. Paper was expensive back in the day. Asking them to have fellowship with the Father and with the Son so that his joy can be complete. And I would ask and beg of you to invest in the less spiritually mature than you because they need it. And frankly, it's for your good too. Your joy, you would bubble over, unimaginably so. This is the life that he's called us to. Find someone and walk with them and talk with them and pray for them. It's for their joy. And then he transitions into this final statement, verse five. I really think verse five is is one of the focal points of the entire book. This is the lit path and the character of God at which we've heard from the beginning that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 
God is not just life, but he is light and very light as well. And so again, he's borrowing from his gospel that was written a couple years before. He uses this language um, to communicate something. What is he trying to get across to his spiritual children and to, to people that are going to read it later? He's saying two things. One, that in God, all things are exposed. There's nothing hidden from him. He's painfully aware of what is going on. But even more than that, it's that there is nothing unclean in him. He's holy. The Puritans would call this light and heat. God exposes and those that are in Christ as they draw closer to, to him in fellowship, they experience the warmth of his presence. His holiness can become a comfort to them and not something to dread because we don't know him as judge now. We know him as father. We don't know him as executioner. We know him as one that contends for us and provides for us. And this light demands to be known. And this is why he's come in the flesh. One of my favorite things I used to do when I was a little boy, I would grab a flashlight from a kitchen drawer and I'd go in my room and turn the light out, flick the flashlight on. And I would try to cover, cover the, the flashlight, the, the, the light coming out, right? And my tiny little hand wouldn't, it wouldn't cover all of it, okay? And so you'd see a beam or two still shoot out it was the coolest thing. It was like I had a, a tiny little fencing lightsaber. Bananas. I'm still fascinated with light. And if you have a, um, do, you, do you have your phone with you? Would you pull it out with me? probably have a flashlight too. Be careful. Don't shine it in someone's eyes. I see your light. So even if you, like even in a well-lit room like this, you were to cover over it with your finger, just your finger, and you were to look at it, right? Try as you might to cover over the light itself. You're your skin still like glows a kind of peachy red, right? Not even the frail, our frail, broken, weak bodies drown out light. The core error that John is wanting you to see is that God's light is so big and massive is that he demands to be known and he's going to be known through you. Even when the light hits my skin, it, it still illumines, it changes a little bit. Not the, not the outside, but you can, you, you can see the glow still. God changes me or even his goodness, his, his character shines through me. 
And this is what the life and the light of the gospel aim to do. It aims to even show itself through your life as well. And so he demands to be known. He must be known. And the apostles, they saw and witnessed so that we can experience both fellowship with him and joy forever as we give away. So 1 John is a heavy book. It's a joyful book though. John is writing not just to expose sin and our weakness and inadequacy. He is showing us the great magnificent God in heaven who aims to make you different. Make us different. So receive him as he is, holy and good and strong. And as Father, as, he's intro- as Jesus has introduced us to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today and we thank you for meeting with us. We thank you for your word and we thank you that the apostles wrote down these things so that we can know that we have fellowship with you. Father, I pray, um, I pray that we would know you and know you as you are. We would know you as holy, that we would know you as light and know you as life. I pray for softer hearts though, especially amongst those that are here this morning. There are folks who have been Christians for a really long time and God, younger brothers and sisters need them. A world around them needs them. And so I pray that you would bring, that you would, you would lessen the cap or pull off the lid to their joy and show them how much more they can have as they give their life away. They may not feel like or think that they can serve in all of these physically taxing ways that we could create. But relationship is something that they can give. Father, I pray that you would show how much more joy that they can have. I'm grateful though, you don't call us to just obey a law. You call us to, to follow the, the, the gospel of life. And then there is freedom and forgiveness and joy and grace. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that he came. Help us know him. We pray in Christ's name, amen.